Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Between the shadows of reality and the fringe of our own fears lurks a world of monsters. Strange creatures and frightening phantoms who test the very boundaries of our science and superstition. It's a realm of mystery and legend, a place of fact and fear. This is Monstro Bizarro. Bizarro. I'm your host, Lyle Blackburn. On this episode, we'll resume our exploration into the legendary Beast of Boggy Creek. As we learned in the previous episode, sightings of a mysterious ape-like creature in and around the small town of Falk, Arkansas, first captured newspaper headlines in May of 1971. Over the next several months, stories of encounters with the creature past and present, began to flood the papers. The news coverage inspired local actor, writer, and entrepreneur Charles B. Pierce to make a movie based on the phenomenon. The film, entitled The Legend of Boggy Creek, was released in August 1972 and within a year went into wide distribution in theaters across the country. The movie not only broke box office records, it firmly established the reality that something monstrous seemed to be lurking in the deep woods of southern Arkansas. I remember seeing The Legend of Boggy Creek in a drive-in theater in Arkansas when I was young. We lived in Texas, but had gone to Arkansas for the weekend to stay in a cabin. For what I can only say is pure luck or perhaps destiny, My dad somehow talked my mom into going to a drive-in to see a monster movie after dark. My mother detests horror movies, but it was the only thing playing, apparently. I was very young at the time, but I clearly remember jumping into the front seat when the opening scenes came to life on the giant screen. The camera glided among the beautiful Boggy Creek bottomlands as it highlighted the remote environment and the abundant wildlife there. Seconds later, the soundtrack took an ominous turn 
as a blood-chilling howl echoed from deep in the swamp. The howl shattered the tranquility and signaled the beginning of a fascination that has lasted my whole life. If you've seen the movie, especially at a young age, you may have the same feelings. Nostalgia mixed with primal fear that both excited me and scared me at the same time. As an adult, I have visited Falk many times and even gone to many of the places seen in the movie. I still have that same sense of wonderment that first captured my imagination so long ago. And perhaps you do too, which makes it so interesting to explore the full history of the creature, not just in terms of the movie, but in terms of everything else that has happened before and since. And even if you haven't seen the movie, it's a story that can grab a hold of you at any time. It's both frightening and ageless, and stands as one of the most sensational and well-documented cases of a Bigfoot-like creature in North America. The legend of Boggy Creek was accurate in its portrayal of Falk Monster incidents that occurred from approximately 1954 up until the fall of 1971 when the film production began. In many cases, the actual witnesses or their relatives were used in the reenactments, which gave the film a sense of grounded reality far from the facade of Hollywood. After the movie was released in 1972, a monster frenzy swirled around the small town of Falk as outsiders began to take interest. Once it went into wide distribution in 1973, Falk was famous and the creature was apparently still roaming the swampy bottomlands around Falk as sightings continued. Some of these were documented by the newspaper, as usual, while some were merely reported to the Miller County Sheriff's Office or not made public at all. One of the most dramatic post-movie encounters was reported by a local Falk resident who had not been shy to express his skepticism for the whole affair. After seeing something in a field near his house, however, his mind was changed. On the morning of November 25, 1973, Orville Scoggins was outside his rural home when he heard a strange noise. He looked up to see a black-haired animal walking across a field about a hundred yards away. It appeared to be around four feet tall and walked upright on two legs. Scoggins estimated its weight to be around 80 to 90 pounds. After the thing moved out of sight, Scoggins jumped into his pickup and raced to the Falk Cafe, where he found Constable Red Walraven. Upon hearing the story, Walraven and two other men went back to Scoggins' farm, which was located about four miles from Falk's main strip. While inspecting the area where the creature had been seen, they found a line of tracks in the soil. The tracks measured five and a half feet in diameter and were spaced 40 inches apart. The men followed the tracks for nearly an eighth of a mile before the trail disappeared into the woods. They conducted a thorough search of the area but could not locate the animal. The thing seemed rather small, but once again, if there were a family of unknown creatures living in the river bottoms, they would conceivably have offspring of different sizes. Sometime that same year, 
Young Mona Jackson was riding her bicycle on one of the county roads when she was startled by a large ape-like creature that walked out of a pipeline clearing and into the road. She described it as being black in color with long arms and a broad chest. It was early evening so she could see it clearly, although she did not absorb any details of its face because she immediately turned and rode for the house as fast as she could. She had heard stories of the Falk monster for as long as she could remember, and to see something like that in person was a truly frightening experience. A year later, a young man was hunting in Falk when a large bipedal creature covered in black hair stepped out of the woods and started to cross the road. When it realized the hunter was there, it stopped. The man said it was like a deer staring into headlights when they made eye contact, as if both were dazzled by the sight of each other. The hunter quickly fled the area, not knowing what kind of creature it was or just what it might do. He did not report the incident at the time for fear of ridicule. It was only later that he told the story of this strange encounter. As the heyday of the legend of Boggy Creek played out in the latter half of the 1970s, the media and the audience gradually lost interest and moved on. As a result, publicized news reports of the Falk monster were practically non-existent by the 1980s. This led many to believe that sightings of the creature had stopped. However, this simply was not the case. Sightings in and around Falk did continue into the 1980s and beyond, but the details were primarily circulated by word of mouth. Eventually, new outlets for publicizing the reports would come along in the form of Bigfoot-related websites in the late 1990s, but for a couple of decades they existed as they did prior to 1971 as local stories and rumors. When I first began my research into the case, prior to writing my book, The Beast of Boggy Creek, several locals told me that I needed to talk to Terry Sutton. Terry had grown up in the small community of Jonesville near Falk. He and his family were extremely well-respected in the area, and apparently Terry had a life-changing experience in the early 80s that confirmed the creature was still prowling the woods long after the movie. It was an unseasonably warm afternoon on February 20, 1982. 15-year-old Terry Sutton had collected a jar full of nightcrawlers from his mother's garden and headed off with his fishing gear toward a pond on the far side of his family's property. Their home was located close to the Sulphur River where others had reported sightings over the years. Having grown up in that area, Terry was no stranger to the lurid tales of their haunting, hair-covered beast, but this was not something that crossed his mind very often when traversing the backwoods. Like most boys in the area, Terry was an experienced hunter, trapper, and fisherman who had spent countless hours in the rich bayous. He was very familiar with all varieties of local wildlife and would not likely mistake one for a seven-foot-tall hairy hominoid. Perhaps that is why this event would be so shocking to him. After traversing the quarter mile from his home to the pond, 
Terry loaded his gear into a small aluminum boat his dad kept there and pushed off into the lazy water. He baited a hook with one of the fat worms, dropped it into the water, and sat there quietly fishing for the rest of the afternoon. As he enjoyed the solitude, he occasionally heard something moving through the thick leaves that covered the late winter ground. Earlier, he had heard what he thought was the bellowing of his uncle's black Angus bull that roamed the adjacent property, so he assumed the bull had wandered toward the pond. That, or perhaps his father was coming down to check on him. Either way, the sound was nothing out of the ordinary, since anything walking through the leaves at that time of year would have made a significant amount of noise. About an hour before dusk, Terry decided to paddle the boat around a small bend in the pond where the fishing might be better. The bend was like a small neck of water that jutted off into a wooded area. He heard some more loud rustling in the leaves coming from that direction, but he still wasn't alarmed until he rounded the bend. Now he could see the source of the leafy noise. It was a large, hair-covered animal walking on two legs across a small embankment near the pond. Its back was facing Terry as it headed toward a ravine that dipped off down into a nearby creek. Terry was a mere 60 feet from the thing, so there was no mistake that he was seeing something other than human, bear, or any other common animal. Terry was over six feet tall at the time, so he estimated the creature's height to be as tall or taller than he was. He described its fur as being scraggly, three to five inches long, and colored a dull black or very dark brown. The creature had notably long arms that swung as it walked, giving it an ape-like demeanor, although it did not hunch over as much as an ape might do. It was just calmly walking, apparently unaware that Terry was there. A strong, musky odor wafted into the air. Terry sat in the boat for several seconds as he watched the creature walk by. During this time, it never looked back. A few moments later, the creature walked over the bank and disappeared into a ravine that led down into the creek bottom below. The thing was now completely out of sight, but Terry could still hear its footsteps in the leaves as it continued to walk. Terry quickly paddled to the bank and got out of the boat. At that point, the creature's footsteps stopped. Terry stood frozen, listening intently in the direction of the ravine. Then he heard the creature start running. At that point, Terry panicked and took off running for the house. Terry arrived at the house out of breath and still holding the boat paddle in his hand. He told his mother what he had seen and she immediately called his father. His father, Lloyd Sutton, pulled into the driveway a short time later. When he got out of the car, he could immediately tell something had happened to his son. Dad, I just saw the Falk monster, Terry shouted. After Terry calmed down and explained what he had seen, Mr. Sutton felt he should head down to the pond to investigate. He quickly gathered his 357 Magnum pistol, a 35mm camera, and two flashlights. Terry was reluctant to go back down there, but finally agreed to go. 
The Suttons walked the quarter mile back down to the pond as the dusk hovered heavily over Jonesville. They immediately looked for any signs of tracks, but found nothing in the dry blanket of leaves or at the water's edge. They followed the creature's path down into the ravine and checked along the creek bank. They found no sign of the creature, but did detect the faint remnants of a foul odor. By now, darkness had enveloped the woods, making it difficult to continue the investigation, but they walked back to the pond and looked around once more. While walking along the bank, a large animal suddenly tore out of the brush and ran in front of them just out of sight. They pointed their flashlights in the direction of the animal, but did not get a glimpse of it. The Suttons immediately ran after it, trying to see what it was. They would occasionally stop to listen as the animal, or whatever it was, continued to move just ahead and out of sight. Finally, the woods went silent, and they gave up the pursuit. Terry kept the incident quiet for a long time, but eventually mentioned it to some friends. He was often teased and even called a liar on occasion, but he never changed his story. It was something that happened, whether anyone wants to believe it or not. I've spoken to Terry and his father many times over the years and can assure you of their credibility. Terry's encounter stands as one of the most credible creature reports I've ever investigated. Sightings of the creature are often experienced by a single witness, such as the case with Terry. But on some occasions, the creature walks into the spotlight of multiple witnesses. That happened twice in the 1990s, resulting in two of the most dramatic encounters on record. On a cold, foggy night in October 1992, five young men were driving on a lonely stretch of road south of Falk at around 11 p.m. They had just passed an area known as McKinney Bayou when they noticed the bright headlights of a semi-truck coming toward them. As the truck got closer, they caught a glimpse of someone or something as it came out of the shadows and walked across the road in full view of both vehicles. The figure formed a dark silhouette in the headlights, but they could clearly see that it was some kind of large, hairy animal walking upright on two legs. The creature had come from the thick woods that lined one side of the road and was headed toward an open field that lay on the opposite side. The driver slowed their car to a stop. The truck driver did the same. The witnesses thought it must have been a bear, but as they continued to watch the creature stroll across the road a mere 50 yards away, they realized it was not. It was more manlike, but larger than a man, standing an estimated seven feet tall and walking on two legs the entire time. It never paused or looked at the cars. It just kept moving. Facial features and other fine details were hard to see because of the silhouette effect, but the men were certain the thing was not an ordinary animal. I interviewed Rusty Anderson, one of the five men in the car that night. He told me that it was definitely taller and thicker than a man, and bushy like it had a thick coat of hair. 
After taking a few long strides, the figure left the road and entered a field where it moved beyond the reach of the headlights. At that point, the truck driver hurriedly got out of his vehicle, as did the five young men from theirs. They tried to get another look at the unidentified creature, but it had already disappeared into the darkness. All of the witnesses were simply astounded by what they had seen. The driver of the car was simply in awe. He and the other four passengers, including Rusty Anderson, lived in the general area, so they had certainly heard stories of the Falk monster many times and felt perhaps they had just seen the thing for themselves. The truck driver, however, had never heard the legend. He was shocked when they told him the backstory. The incident was so surreal, the men discussed the possibility of having been hoaxed. But in the end, they did not feel this was the case. They were certain it was a real flesh-and-blood animal and not a person in a costume. After a last look into the field, the parties returned to their vehicles and went their separate ways. I interviewed both Rusty and one of the other men who was in the car at the time. Their stories matched. In 1993, two men came into a convenience store in Falk around midnight, panicked and outwardly distressed. They told the clerk on duty, uh, Miss Dorothy Briggs, they had been traveling south on Old Highway 71 when they spotted something very strange crossing the road near Falk. It appeared to be, quote, some kind of ape man. It walked out of the woods towards the road in front of them. The driver slowed the vehicle until they rolled to a stop about 100 feet from the creature which had paused on the shoulder of the road eyeing the approaching headlights. As they sat there in growing disbelief, the men could see the thing was definitely walking on two legs, covered with dark hair, and stood approximately seven feet tall. It seemed adept in its movements, so it was fairly clear it was some sort of bipedal animal and not merely a bear who had taken to walking upright. Moments later, Another car approached from the opposite direction and came to a stop. The occupants had also noticed the strange creature, now frozen like a deer in the headlights, standing at the side of the road. The couple in the car were from Falk and were well aware of its namesake monster, but they never believed and they certainly never believed they would see such a thing. The creature continued to stand at the side of the road, wary of the growing audience, when incredibly a semi-truck came up alongside the Falk couple and stopped to see what was happening. The witnesses now totaled five adults. A few moments later, the creature darted back into the woods, running fast on two legs. All five people got out of their parked vehicles and began to discuss what had just taken place. To everyone's amazement, they all saw what was very clearly a creature fitting the description of the Falk monster. The Falk monster was no doubt making a lasting impression on a new generation of locals and visitors. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. One of the most frightening encounters with the alleged beast was reported by a coon hunter. On a cold, moonlit night in the winter of 2000, he and several other men were hunting in an area of Mercer Bayou known as Thornton Wells. At some point, one of the hunter's dogs treed a raccoon deep in the swamp. He followed his dog's lead and separated from the other men. After locating the raccoon and collecting his dog, the hunter started back across the swamp to rejoin the group when he heard something walking in the flooded timber. Thinking it was one of his fellow hunters, the man called out, but no one answered. All he could hear was a deep-throated, gurgling sound coming from somewhere in the dark swamp. It was followed by an eerie whistling. He also began to smell a horrible, putrid odor. At that point, the dogs began to whimper and cower behind the hunter's legs. It struck him as unusual for such experienced, fearless hounds. The hunter proceeded to move on through the bottoms until he heard the sound of someone or something walking in the water behind him. When he turned around, he was shocked to see a creature of immense size standing there. The thing was hulking and huge, covered in dark, rusty brown hair that was wet and matted. The skin on its face and hands was gray and leathery, and while its overall characteristics were ape-like, its face was, quote, like that of a person. It stood upright on two legs in the shallow water as it flashed its teeth at the awestruck hunter. His recollection is chilling. It made a hissing sound and reached down and started scooping up water and throwing it up at me making a deep, throaty noise. I don't even remember being that scared in my life. My dog started growling and even trying to get at it. I just grabbed a leash and tore out of that swamp. So scared that for a while I was going in the wrong direction. I finally got to a big cypress knee and caught my breath. I could still hear that thing moving behind me. It followed me for a ways, and then after a while, I could hear it across the bayou making a moaning sound and moving away real slow. I got my breath and my compass and my bearings and started back to the truck. When I got there, I didn't say a word to my friends because I, I kind of thought they'd laugh me down. Needless to say, I never returned to Thornton Wells. I don't plan to. For a long time, I just kept it to myself. I even had nightmares about it. Over the years, the Miller County Sheriff's Office has taken quite a few reports from witnesses who were so shocked by their encounter with the creature, they were compelled to call the authorities. I spoke at length to H.L. Phillips, who worked in Miller County law enforcement during the heyday of Falk's monster frenzy, from 1969 to 2006. He told me during that time he fielded many calls, which he took seriously. His first recollection of a monster report dates to around 1969 
when two coon hunters said they encountered a tall, hairy creature in a lonely draw deep in the woods of Falk. Phillips was skeptical of a quote-unquote monster, but these men were serious and trustworthy. The Miller County Sheriff at the time, Leslie Greer, had heard a similar story many years earlier in 1946. In his own words, I was campaigning for a tax assessor and I stopped to talk to a lady sitting on her front porch. Now, she lived about halfway between Falk and the Below Bridge. She told me that she saw some kind of animal go down in a field in a low, bushy place. And she said it looked like a man and that it walked like a man, but that she didn't think it was a man. Greer didn't give the story much thought at the time. It was only later, in 1971, when the rash of bizarre sightings was reported around Boggy Creek, did he realize the possible significance of what the woman had told him. H.L. Phillips eventually took over as sheriff, inheriting the task of investigating monster reports around Falk. In another memorable case, Phillips took a report in 2003 from a family in Jonesville, south of Falk, who said their two children had been out riding bikes when they came upon what they described as a hairy monster during the evening hours. The kids were quite shaken and quickly pedaled away on their bikes. When they returned home and frantically told their mother, she decided to contact the authorities. The sheriff's office took the report seriously, as they always did back then, and asked if she thought the children had seen the Falk monster. The woman was puzzled. They were new to the area, having only lived there a short time. Neither she nor the kids had ever heard of the Falk monster. In the spring of 2009, Texarkana wildlife photographer Jennifer Bland was driving the back roads of the Sulphur River area looking for subjects to photograph. She was driving slowly down a dirt road leading from an area known as Smith Park to Longslough at around 2 p.m. when a large bipedal animal ran out of the woods, took a few bounding steps, and disappeared into the trees on the other side. She could see it was brown in color and it ran on two legs the entire time. The incident was so strange and unexpected, Jennifer sat in the car for several minutes pondering what she had just seen. Suddenly, an unearthly scream came from the woods where the thing had just run. It was so unnerving, Jennifer turned her car around and quickly left the area. Although the sighting was brief, she had a good view of the subject in broad daylight. She was confident it was not a typical animal or a person. As a wildlife photographer, she had seen every type of wild animal Arkansas had to offer. This was not one she had seen before. I've spoken to Jennifer several times over the years and have no doubt she saw something strange that day. I once came across what looked like large three-toed tracks in that very area, and it's not the only time I've spoken to a witness who had seen something there as well. In 2013, I was invited to participate in a television show that featured a Bigfoot theme. The show was Shipping Wars, which aired on the A&E network. 
In this episode, one of the truck driver cast members was transporting the legendary Minnesota Iceman from a location in Minnesota to the Museum of the Weird in Austin, Texas. Since the Iceman has ties to Bigfoot history, the producers decided the driver should stop off in Falk for an overnight excursion into the woods near Boggy Creek. I was joined by several friends who also participated in the episode. Museum of the Weird owner Steve Boosty, Bigfoot investigators Ken Gerhard and Chris Buttonbaugh, and Falk local John Attaway. Our objective was to take the driver on an evening exploration in search of the famed creature. A small camera crew was there to capture the adventure on film. We met at a local convenience store called the Monster Mart on the afternoon of April 7th and then proceeded to the filming location which was going to be on the Sutton's property where Terry had his encounter so many years before. The crew set up and we began filming just before sunset. During the shoot, one of the camera operators was filming scenery shots in a thick section of woods when he heard something running through the brush. He was using the camera's night vision feature to capture the ambience of the dark surroundings. When he focused it in the direction of the sound, he saw what looked like a very large person running toward him at a distance of approximately 50 yards. It would not have been unusual, except the figure was moving at a high rate of speed through very thick brush, something that would have been very difficult for a person to do. The entity ran towards the cameraman at an angle and then ran off without ever stopping. It seemed very animal-like and so much less like a person or a hunter. The cameraman believes he may have actually filmed the Falk monster. After the incident, the crew did not seem quite as skeptical as they did before. It's the nature of the Falk woods to sway one's opinion only after a short period of exploration into its rugged terrain. The possibility of someone pulling a hoax on us seems highly unlikely. We were filming on private property, not to mention the person would not have been able to access the location easily without passing us by. It was not one of the crew members either, as they were all accounted for at the time. The other aspect was the runner's speed and agility while navigating through very thick brush. A large person could not have accomplished that feat in full view of the camera. Later that night, while we were sitting in the woods, Ken played a wounded animal call in an attempt to elicit a response from any potential creatures. After a few moments, something suddenly bolted into the woods a mere 20 yards away. It sounded very large and made a considerable noise as it ran into the brush. Whatever it was had been lingering very close to our group before it decided to run off. Surprisingly, the network did not end up using the footage of the strange runner in the final cut of the episode. Why they wouldn't include something like that is a total mystery to the cameraman and to me. Perhaps somewhere in the vast digital film archives of the production company lies the only footage of the legendary Falk creature ever captured. On the morning of Tuesday, November 25th, 2014, a woman living near the Sulphur River west of Falk 
was driving along a small county road north of her home at around 10 a.m. She was on her way to see her mother at the hospital and realized she had forgotten something. She slowed down and turned around on the narrow county road. As she began to head back south, she was startled by something that was standing in the middle of the road. At first, she thought it was a kid dressed in a Halloween costume. But as she focused on the figure, she realized it was some sort of hairy animal, one that walked on two legs. The creature had apparently come out of a thick patch of woods on her left and was crossing the road where a car had been moments before. Now that she had turned around, it paused as if caught in the act. The creature stood fully upright with an estimated height of five feet. It was covered in reddish-brown hair except for the face, which had dark, leathery skin and particularly piercing eyes. The woman could see wispy hair on its arms. It was about four inches long and waved in the gentle morning breeze. The thing gazed at the woman for a few seconds before it turned and ran back into the woods. Completely unnerved, the woman sped home, grabbed what she had forgotten, and drove back up the road until she reached a convenience store. She did not see the creature again, but she was still shaking so much she decided to stop and pick up a soda, hoping to calm her nerves. As luck would have it, she struck up a conversation with the owner, who happened to be my friend Denny Roberts, who also owns the Monster Mart in Falk. She told him about the encounter, and he assured her she was not the only one to have seen something like that in the Sulphur River area. He suggested she talk with me, and she agreed to an interview. She did not want any publicity, fearing her neighbors might think she had, quote, gone crazy, so I promised to keep her name confidential. After talking to her by phone, a month later I met her at the convenience store where she reiterated the story to me and my late friend Tom Shirley. As she spoke, we could sense the emotion in her voice. I watched the earnest expression in her eyes. It was apparent feelings of fear and bewilderment still lingered. She was puzzled that its apparent height of five feet did not equal the towering Bigfoot stature she had heard about. I explained it's only logical that if these creatures are real, then naturally there would be younger ones who haven't reached full maturity, not to mention I had heard plenty of other witness reports where the creatures were heights that varied from four to eight feet. Her description was not out of the ordinary and, in fact, quite common in the attributes of its reddish-brown hair and darker facial skin. I asked her if there was any possibility it could have been a person in a costume, perhaps trying to scare her. She explained that. At first I thought it was a kid in a costume, but the more I looked at it I could see it wasn't. And when it was running, it didn't look like a costume, it looked like a real animal. There are not many homes in the area, and the place where the creature came out of the woods is very thick. I talked to the nearest homeowner, who assured me that no kids would be out there running around in a costume. He was the only one with kids around there, and they were at school. In fact, most kids would have been in school. This was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, a regular school day. Sightings such as this have continued with a steady stream to suggest that the creature, 
or more logically, a population of undocumented creatures are perhaps still roaming the woods around Falk. On the evening of October 14, 2018, at approximately 7 p.m., two Falk residents were driving north on the old Highway 71 when they saw a large, bulky figure run across the road in four huge strides. It ran on two legs and continued to run down the middle of another road that is perpendicular to the highway. The startled women initially passed by the crossroad, but decided to stop and turn around. When they turned on the road where the thing had run, it was already gone. The two women are longtime Falk residents. They were shocked at the possibility they had seen the Falk monster. In February of 2019, a man was driving on a county road south of Falk after dark when he noticed red eye shine in the woods to his right. As he approached, he could make out the form of a large humanoid figure standing flush with the trees. It turned its head as he slowed and passed by, apparently watching the car. The figure looked to be six or seven feet tall with a muscular form and hair covering its body. The driver watched it a few more seconds until it turned and slipped into the shadows. The driver was too frightened to stop and investigate. The location of this sighting is close to the area known as Thornton Wells, where many strange incidents have occurred over the years, including sightings, strange howls, and wood knocks. I have experienced some of these personally, including a howling creature that seemingly pursued myself and a friend as we canoed in Mercer Bayou late one night. It was one of the most chilling things I've ever experienced. The story of the Beast of Boggy Creek is long, hairy, and winding, with continued sightings and even sequels to the original movie which made it famous. The Boggy Creek case has also been featured in documentaries, television shows, and of course books such as my own. The scope of the story cannot be covered in a few podcast episodes, but I hope what I've covered here gives you a good idea of the veracity of this case and the lasting fascination it has for many. It's amazing the number of people who have approached me at events over the years or messaged telling me of their own experience with the movie at a young age or their own visits to the murky bottomlands surrounding Falk. sound means it's time for Monstro Mail, where I answer your most monstrous questions of the unexplained. On this episode, I will address a question that I've been asked on numerous occasions, which is, how did they make the creatures howl in the original Legend of Boggy Creek film? If you're a fan of the film, then the howl has become indelibly etched into your brain, that blood-chilling, howling scream that first echoes from the depths of Boggy Creek in the film's opening sequence and played effectively throughout the remainder of the film. According to Pierce, they actually recorded some kind of strange howls when he and Earl Smith were doing their early research into the case down in Falk. Smoky Crabtree had taken them deep into the bayou so they could experience it for themselves, 
while they recorded sounds that would later be used in the movie's soundscape. On one occasion, Pierce claimed to have recorded the very creature itself. I spoke to Jaime Mendoza Nava Jr., whose father created the soundtrack for the movie. Jaime Jr. told me that he actually has the quarter-inch master tape of the final sound mix, and according to what his father told him, the howl was a mixture of animal sounds blended together. It included a gorilla and an orangutan, and perhaps other animals that were not even primates. And, of course, this mixture could very well include the howl recorded by Pierce himself. The creature's signature howl in the movie needed to be loud and effective, so if Pierce did record any such howl in Falk, it might need some reinforcements so that it would be loud and dynamic in the final mix. Pierce's daughter, Pam, confirmed that her father did indeed record something that he believed to be the creature. So who knows, what we hear in the legend of Boggy Creek may contain the haunting voice of the lonely creature itself. Driving down in our country along about sundown, keep an eye on the dark woods as you cross the sulfur river bottoms, and you may catch a glimpse of a huge, hairy creature watching you from the shadows. Yes, he's still here. And you know, I'd almost like to hear that terrible cry again, just to be reminded that there is still a bit of wilderness left. And there are still mysteries that remain unsolved and strange unexplained noises in the night. Not everything in this world can be explained in simple terms. This is one of those cases. For more than a century now, Residents in and around the small town of Falk, Arkansas, have reported sightings of a strange ape-like creature that seemingly lives among their woods and waterways. Skeptics tend to dismiss these reports as tall tales, hoaxes, or fabrications, yet the locals and other witnesses insist they have seen something that is most assuredly real. Many of the witnesses are prominent citizens, skilled hunters, and even police officials whose reputations lend credibility to a phenomenon that is undeniably controversial. The encounters may be hard to fathom in today's world, but they are certainly not the result of mass hallucinations or a century-long conspiracy to create a local monster. Though solid proof of the creature remains elusive, the body of anecdotal reports and occasional footprints suggest there is something tangible behind the now famous legend. Whatever may be lurking in the vast sulfur river bottoms has yet to be explained. It might be part of the greater mystery of Bigfoot, and it might be something else altogether unique. But either way, it has become a significant cornerstone in the roster of American cryptid cases. 
case worthy of documenting in detail. A case that will likely continue for as long as people like myself pursue such mysteries. Special thanks to Pam Pierce Barcelo for permission to use clips from The Legend of Boggy Creek. Be sure to check out the restored, remastered version available now on Blu-ray and DVD at legendofboggycreek.com. For more information about me or my Boggy Creek books, visit lyleblackburn.com. <laughs>